know, one time I had uh, this guy, E-Man, you know him. I think, Chaz, you might know him too. But uh, I had this guy tell me, you know, you get a little too excited during worship. And he was saying in that kind of southern passive-aggressive way of going, you, you shouldn't do what you're doing during worship. But I, I don't know about y'all, but he, so, you know, you don't get to determine my level of, of celebration during worship because you don't know what I've been delivered from. Okay. I, I knew. Y'all, none of y'all knew BC Matt. One of y'all knew Matt 10 years ago, okay, and it was a mess, okay? But God, who is rich in mercy, saw it fit not just to save me, and I can't get over that fact. The God of the universe sacrificed himself for me. I can't get over that, man, okay? And then to use me up here, that's kind of crazy, all right? So, you know, C.S. Lewis, he had this really amazing observation uh, so, you know, when, so when he was becoming a Christian, so, you know, he held positions at Oxford and Cambridge, you know, elite scholar kind of guy. And J.R. Tolkien and different people started telling him about Jesus and really the way of Jesus. And he had this, a few different kind of barriers between him and thinking his way to Jesus. And one was, so you're telling me that this God demands worship? He, he demands praise. He creates these people and then demands praise. And he goes, that kind of sounds egotistical. He goes, I, I know people who demand praise, and everybody hates them. Nobody can stand them. And so as C.S. Lewis thought through it, he realized, and he wrote this in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, that the most obvious fact about praise, he said, whether about God or anything, hit me, okay? I never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Think about it. So, in other words, whenever you enjoy something, you can't help but share it. You can't help but praise it. You go out to a great restaurant. Okay, Dakota and Caitlin went to a great restaurant last night. Guess the first thing they told me this morning. It was amazing. It was fantastic. So, you go to a great place to eat, and you can't wait to go, oh, you guys got to go to the Salisbury Steak there. You got to go. It's amazing. Or you, or you read a great book. I don't eat Salisbury Steak. <laughs> I'm from Mississippi. Sometimes Mississippi comes out of me. You just got to bear with it. So, so you read a great book, and you just can't wait to tell a friend, hey, you've got to read this book, the depth, the it's amazing, right? And so Lewis said that praise doesn't just express but completes our joy, okay? That you can't enjoy anything until you praise it. So as we understand God's love for us, as we delight in him day after day and week after week, we can't help but praise him from our hearts through our mouths in this room together. So Lewis finished his thought by saying this. When God commands us to glorify him, he's inviting us to enjoy him. That's what God's inviting you into in, for your entire life, not just this morning. So we can't help, as we delight in God and as we think about what he's done for him, we can't help but go, oh, thank you, Jesus, for the blood, and to lift our hands and to let it overflow out of our hearts. Okay, so that, none of that can count against my time in preaching. That was just a sermonette, okay? I still got the full allotment. So again, welcome. Uh, I got two quick shout-outs. Uh, before I get into the, the sermon this morning, I think I see baby Nico. Y'all believe this? Nico Jackson in the house. He's already saying I'm his best friend. I don't know. It's crazy. Okay. So, but it's just amazing for those of you who know, and I think all of you do, we have prayed for this guy since March and before and God delivered in so many ways day after day after day. <clears throat> I'm not going to, some in my throat, but it's gone now. So, uh, Nico, we love you, buddy. I'm proud of you. Imprinting. There it is. All right, now I'm his favorite. And you know what? This is first sermon ever. All right, let's go. Let's go. Yeah, let's give a hand for Nico, man. Way to go. I'm convinced he's going to be the president or more. Okay, this dude's tough. One last shout out. Uh, last Sunday was Mike and Angie Goff's 30th wedding anniversary. 
In fact, after this service, they're giving a one-day class on how to have the perfect marriage, right? All right. Perfect. <laughs> so we love you guys. Congratulations. We're excited to be part of the next 30. All right. So, uh, all right, I guess I better preach. So today, uh, we're finishing a series called Praying Through the Psalms, okay? We're actually not going to be in Psalms today because we can do whatever we want. All right, so uh, there's this idea of praying all throughout the scriptures, really in the New Testament over and over again that I I just really want to talk to you about this morning. And so we're going to start in Acts 2, if you want to go ahead and scroll there, but we're going to jump around a bit, which is a rare occurrence for me if you're new to us. We typically preach through a book of the Bible at a time, and so, but in this series, so Sam Bunnell, okay, he talked through us about, to us about, how do I pray when I'm confused? If I don't know that's my next step or if that last step was correct, how do I pray during a season like that? And then, you know, we talked about one week we talked about the keystone habit of praying every single morning. If we would commit five to ten minutes in the morning every single morning to talk to God about our day like like David does in Psalm 5, if we would do that keystone habit, so many other good habits come to us from the Lord. That that one habit produces so many other good things in our walk with the Lord. Uh, George preached, through, preached out of Psalm 3 how we can pray our fears, not just internalize, not just stuff it deep, but actually pray our fears to God. And then today we're going to talk about praying for each other. Okay, As Redemption City Church, okay, we're starting a revolution of care in Fort Worth. That's what we're going to do. You're on the ground floor of a citywide movement where we truly care for each other. People all around our city are lonely. They're disconnected. They're so disconnected that they're putting their whole lives onto the internet. It's crazy. Like they go out to eat, they sit on their couch to watch a movie and they tell the internet about it. They're so disconnected. They're trying to find all these connection points. They don't know what to do. Take a look at this graph real quick. If you can see, uh, research shows that only 15% that, that 15% of men and 10% of women have no close friends. And the graph shows that almost no one has more than two friends in our country today, okay, adults, okay, so in the midst of busy lives, overcommitted schedules, a growing city, we feel alone, right, we drive on overcrowded freeways to get onto overcrowded planes, and yet we feel isolated throughout, so how can that be, we, we live around a lot of people, work with a lot of people, we go to these fitness centers with a ton of people, working out next to them, we sit in movies and sporting events and all these things next to people, We have uh, at least 50 message inboxes that people can reach us at. So access to people, proximity to people, that's not the issue. So what in the world is going on? Why the loneliness? Enter Redemption City, right? Enter a family of followers of Jesus who care about our our friends and our neighbors so much that we go, hey, y'all got to come meet my big, messy, extended family. You're going to love it, okay? You got to come meet my extended family at church who we have these burden-bearing relationships that, are gonna, that you're really craving for that's going to change your life. That's who we are. So, you know, the future of the church is ancient. We're starting a revolution that actually started a couple thousand years ago back in Acts in the, in the early church. And it's what our city really needs. They're looking for all this stuff. They're looking for more money and satisfaction in all these ways. But what they really need is all met in the church. Our city's lonely and we offer care. Our city's looking for freedom in all these crazy ways, and we offer Jesus who actually offers true freedom, right? People are looking for a real friend. Look no further, fella, you found him. Right here, here we are, okay? So we see, understand, and even feel the problem very quickly, right? We all feel that down to our bones, but now what? Like, great, I want to be somebody's, I'm willing to be somebody's friend, help them know Jesus, fine, but now what do I do next? What's the pathway 
from isolation and being disconnected to being a family of believers who truly and actively care for each other. What's that look like? I offer today that an essential and critical component to us being that for our city is us praying for each other. It's so crazy that it might work. Okay. And it's just so simple, right? Okay, let's look at a few scriptures and uh, where Paul and the other early church did this. Acts 2.42. And they, being the, the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to praying. The first church was devoted to praying with and for each other. Look at Romans 1, 8 through 10. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and he says, Hey, first off, I, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because of your faith, it's proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I never stop mentioning you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will that I may at last succeed to come and to visit your church. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. As Paul is writing his second letter to the church at Corinth, he says, for we don't want you to be unaware. So there's a lot going on in this one. So Paul and, his, and the other disciples traveling with him around the world to plant churches, they had been through some really serious trials. And he's writing back to the people of Corinth what they've been going through so that they could pray for him. So he says, my crew, we don't want you, the church in Corinth, to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction that we experienced while we were planting churches in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul and his crew were at rock bottom. Not only did they think they were going to die, they kind of wanted to die. But that was to make us, God allowed us to go through that to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer. So that many will give thanks on our behalf and pray for us for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So, again, a lot going on there. But Paul is asking this church to join him in the trial by praying for him. He doesn't go, I guess all you can do is pray. So I guess just pray a little bit. I don't know. You know. No, he goes, join us in this fight by praying for us from afar. Okay. A couple more. Philippians 1, 3 through 8. Paul says, I thank God every time I remember you, always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, making my prayer with joy. Skip on down to verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 1 2, as he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, we give thanks to God to to, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly remembering you and mentioning you in our prayers. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So you see the pattern there. Every time he wrote to a church and he wrote back to a church, he goes, oh, I've been praying for you every day. I yearn to be with you again. I think about you all the time. I love you. I pray for you. I can't wait to be with you. Do you see the pattern? Okay. So, you know, the world doesn't have friendships like this. It kind of can't. Maybe at like the beginning of a romantic relationship. Maybe, maybe Tom Cruise said something like this after he said, you can play me, I don't know, right? But they really, so we love each other and we can have vulnerable friendships and we love each other because Jesus loved us. 
We don't love each other because, oh, you, you, got some, you got a boat and I've got some cool friends, so now we can be friends. That's how the world does friendship. But we can commit to each other because Jesus is committed to us. And then we live that out. You know, people today embody two contradictory desires. Okay, they want a life with a higher purpose and they want freedom from commitment. Those two don't work together. People run away from commitment while looking for what a committed life brings. So my first exhortation to you today for how can we do this? How can we practically live this out where we become a a community of care and we pray for each other all the time? The first is we pray in our city groups. We pray in city groups together for each other. And, you know, I'm not not the smartest guy in the room, uh, Mississippi Public Education, but I think to, to pray in your city group, you might need to be in a city group. Uh, Amen. I hope you didn't put your mouth on this, Mike. That's all I can think about. <sighs> Maybe we just got closer. So, so as we become a people of care, you know, every time that the, except for two times in the New Testament, whenever it says church, it's talking about a local people. A church is not a building. That's why we can worship in a YMCA. A church is a people. Okay, so how can we become a church of people who really care for each other, pray for each other? One of, if not the primary ways, is that we live out the habit of praying for each other in our weekly city groups and our small groups that meet in homes. So, you know, our city, our, our small groups are super simple, right? So we meet in a home every single week on a weeknight. We have a meal together, and we talk about our week, we hang out. Okay, there's something biblical about that, where you have a meal, and you just talk about your week, and then we study the Bible together, and then we pray for each other. Meal, Bible, prayer, week after week after week after week after week. And it's this amazing thing how, as we do that, our love just grows for each other, you know? So if you're not in a city group, please let me connect you. I, I love doing that. It's my favorite thing, so you can do a, fill out a connect card, talk to me directly. Would love to connect you. So we're starting a new group in August, another one probably in September, if people want to be part of it. Okay, so in the office, um, which uh, some people say that the writers of the office are like our modern-day Shakespeare's. I don't know. Okay, but in the office, you know, Michael and Andy, Michael Scott and Andy. I think it, there's a lot of layers to his last name being Bernard, but that's another talk. So Michael Scott, Andy, Bernard, they always are calling the other people in the office their best friends. Always, that's what they say. They want to hang out at night. They want to hang out on the weekends. They want to go out to lunch together. These are my best friends in the office, they say. Dwight Schrute, though, said we're no more a team than people staying at the same hotel are a team. And he would go to, he would go to work 9 to 5, work hard, and then he didn't want anything to do with these people after 5 on the weekends during lunch. This is my time. I'm not trying to be with you like that. Be Michael and Andy. Don't be Dwight with us okay commit relationally don't just clock out and when you come back in a couple weeks we'll kind of catch up then no let's let's be best friends man let's be real friends commit to us we we have enough facebook type acquaintances in our lives right let's be real friends being real friends requires the investment of time okay this is why we eat a meal together every week we don't just come in and, and rush to bible study time and you know we're bible people but we share a meal together because over the table that's where a relationship happens so over a meal we share about our week and we laugh together and all these sorts of things and that's a scientific fact so in two important studies that it takes time to get to know each other in two important studies published by the university of kansas in the journal of social and personal relationships something i read all the time okay Communications professor Jeffrey Hall found that it takes, quote, between 40 and 60 hours to form a casual relationship, 80 to 100 hours to transition to being a friend, and more than 200 hours together to become good friends. So how do you spell love? 
T-I-M-E. It takes time together to get where we really want to get. And so that type of friendship, it develops and it gets stronger and stronger and stronger as we pray for each other. In a small group, you give yourself away. If you read Acts as they were forming the first small groups, they never said, hey, here's the benefits of a small group. Here's what you get. They always listed what others gave in small group. That's what it's all about. You know, uh, the way of Jesus is giving. That's, that's his whole thing is to give, give, give. And your problem just might be in life that that, that might actually be your, that you evaluate everything in your life by what you get. Maybe that's why your marriage isn't working. Maybe that's why all these things that you're buying isn't making, aren't making you happy because it's about the way of Jesus is giving, right? You know, uh, since I'm already stepping on toes, a lot of people in our city hate church because they've been. Okay, and so if we're going to kind of, if you know, one of our like uh, ethos statements, vision statements is that we want to be the kind of church that lost people love coming to. Church people, unchurched people love, and, and the way that we do that, the sermon's got to be, you know, okay. The music's got to be like it was today and like it is every week. Yeah, but our, the most consistent feedback that we get is, man, these are the nicest people I've ever met in my life. One girl, a few weeks, a sixth grade girl came a couple of months ago. Her, her feedback was, I've never had that many people shake my hands. And that's what a world-changing movement looks like, actually. It's not the sexiest thing in the world to do this and that. What, what changes the world is the way of Jesus, and the way of Jesus is local, established friendships that are giving. That's what it looks like. So Acts, again, goes on and on about how exactly the early church took care of each other, how they gave and how they cared. They embodied the generosity of Jesus himself. So we find that as we give ourselves away, we have everything that we need. So as uh, Jewish people, you know, uh, during the Holocaust, one of the worst uh, atrocities in human history, every Jewish person, the, the entry gate as they went in, there was this sign that said, translated said, it says, works, work makes free. That was the promise. As you come in, as you work, that can make you free. If you work hard enough and work long enough and really push it, that's good. But that's, we all know that's not true. No matter what they did inside that encampment, there was no escaping. Okay, so the promise that was given to them could never be delivered on. And what the world promises you is just not true. What the world promises you is if you'll find the one, that other half which is from Greek mythology, okay? If you'll find that other half, and then you find success in a job, and you get some followers online, you're going to be completely fulfilled. But then you get all that stuff, you're like, this isn't, there's something else. There's got to be something else. This is all great, but there's got to be something else. So true happiness is only found in Jesus. And walking in his way, and by practicing his way with people who love you and who you love, everything else is an empty bag, okay? This is why I say, I start with there's loneliness in the city, and so the, prob the, the way to fix that loneliness is not a yacht. The way to fix that loneliness is not a new spouse, or a sp it's not any of that. It is what we're talking, it's the way of Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus together. So as we invest our time and our lives into each other, we find true and lasting satisfaction. Okay, second encouragement, I got to get moving. Pray for each other throughout the week. So first, so pray for each other within a city group. Second, the way to live this out spiritually, I mean, uh, practically speaking, and spiritually speaking, I guess, is to pray for each other throughout the week. I was listening to this uh, guy preach one time, really good sermon, and he had everybody, and I'm not asking you to do this, because it kind of embarrassed everybody, but he's, he asked everybody to raise their hand if they keep a calendar, 
And pretty much everybody did, whether it's written calendar or in your phone or whatever. Everybody's like, yeah, of course I keep a calendar. And then he had everybody raise their hand if they have some form of written system to pray for people within their church. And everybody's like, and like hardly anybody in the room raised their hand. I bet bet it would be similar in here. I don't know. And then he asked, why do 95% of us keep a calendar, but only 5% of us write down prayer requests and concerns? And I was like, ah, yeah, dang. So why becomes the question, right? I'm not, you know, why? We're not willing to miss an appointment, but we just might forget to pray for that person who's going through something in church or, or somebody who asked us for somebody who on Sunday morning said, hey, would you think about me this week? I'm going through this. And we just might forget. Used to. When somebody would ask, like on a Sunday morning, they would go, hey, would you pray for me about this? I would go, hey, let's pray right now. And that's, that's fine. Please do that. That's fantastic. Pray for each other right then and there. That's great. But the dark side of why I did that, I knew I'd forget. And not only would I not pray for them, I would be a liar because I'd always say, oh, I got you. Definitely going to pray for that. No question. So, so, then ha- so I don't know that it was a hard issue, but more of a practical issue, right? Like, cause I, it's not that I wanted to lie to these people or not pray for them, but I forgot. Like E-Man was saying earlier, I forget the keys. I forget, you know, it's not that I hate my keys. I just don't know where they are unless I put them in the same drawer over and over again. You ever tell somebody you're going to pray for them and then you don't? Ah, the guilt, the shame. And as a pastor, believe me, there's plenty of guilt and shame to go around. So I have a couple of really, really practical, two easy ideas for you to practice praying for us, for you to practice praying for people in your church. First, I keep a people in pain list in my office where I often pray at home, okay? So if I know somebody's going through something at the church, or if they tell me on Sunday, or I just hear about it or whatever, I put them on that people in pain list, and I pray for them very often, okay? And so, so if, if, if you ask me to pray for you, I, I can tell you with confidence now I actually do pray for you, okay? So think, as, as we approach the subject broadly today, how do I pray for people within my church? Think, what can I do practically to line up my intentions with my actions? Well, something really practical I can do for me, this people in pain list really helps. And so I never, like I said, I never wanted to forget. So this helps me actually execute on what I actually want to do. So, and I find too. When I regularly pray for people using this kind of written system, I find myself bolder in asking them about their lives because I've like been praying for them. I've been thinking about them. I've been, you know, lifting them up to God. And so you see how that works, right? By praying for someone in private, your relationship gets stronger. It's the craziest thing to me. So second practical idea, and I actually started this this week, uh, is using prayer cards. Okay. You, you may have heard of this before. Courtney Fox does it. So I'm not going to read you what it says because I got personal stuff on here, but like, so you you list the person's name or the family's name. So this is a family in our church, their name, all their kids. So you might know who that is. Okay. Uh, And I'm praying for different things that I know is going on in their lives. And I'll pray for them for a couple minutes and I'll go to the next one. And it's, it's really an effective thing. So just try that out. My my goal is to have a card for all of the family units and uh, households in the church. And so try that out, you know, flip through as you have 10 minutes, five minutes, three minutes, flip through. And then start on the next card the next time that you pray, okay? These practices will formalize your love for us, right? It's more than just saying it. Then we're actually putting actions to what we actually feel. So invest your time and attention to pray for us. My third final encouragement, and this is hard for people like me, a.k.a. prideful, okay? Ask people to pray for you. Come on, man. I know, we know you got stuff. We know you're going through stuff, okay? Help us help you. My goodness. Sometimes I find myself texting a friend for advice before I even ask them to pray for me. 
And I think that shows a lot about where my faith lies in that situation. You know, I, I love to give charity, but I don't like to be charity. That's why I think I have such trouble with grace. Y'all know my parents were missionaries, are, were, whatever, timeline's hairy. And I used to love going to El Salvador, El Salvador, as it were, going down there and giving out the shoeboxes at Christmas. Oh, my gosh, it was so fun. These kids, they lit up. It was an amazing experience. But it was so awkward when Hurricane Katrina tore up my hometown and we had to accept some free chicken. It was weird. Honestly, I hated it. And so, so even today, when somebody buys me a meal, I try my best to, as soon as I can, hit them back with a meal as well. So for us to grab onto this grace for someone else to pray for me, I actually have to tell them what's happening in my life. i got to trust them with that. We can't know what you're going through if you don't let us in. So let's get into the habit of sharing our burdens with each other. You know, we have this natural instinct to put on this facade like we don't need any help. But guess who needs a little help and love and care? Every dang body. Every single person that you'll ever meet. And so get into the habit of sharing what's happening in your life Ask for prayer. Galatians 6, 2 says to bear each other's burdens. That was written to us, to a local church, to bear each other's burdens. The idea is like this past week, my wife found us a couch for our home. Husbands already know what happened. That means that I had the opportunity to go get that couch and bring it home. Okay, but I couldn't carry the couch alone. It's my burden, but I I couldn't do it. So my man Sam came through, came to my house. He lifted one. He grabbed one end. I grabbed the other. Bada bing, bada boom. The the couch is wonderful in the house. I did my duty. So again, that was my burden, but my brother shared that burden with me. I couldn't do it alone, and he was because he loves me. He was happy to be part of it. So. That's what Galatians 6 2 is telling us to do spiritually and emotionally and even physically for each other to bear each other's stuff Right, maybe what you're going maybe you're going through something with your parents and you just can't like you don't know what to do next And it's heavy on your shoulders Maybe you're going through so and you tell your city group about it You tell somebody to hear about it and it's amazing instead of hitting you back with judgment about your jacked up family They all are okay your group goes, oh, we can't wait to pray for you. And they put their arms around you, and they pray for you. And it, your, your shoulders broaden, and your load is literally lighter in your spirit. Theirs is a little heavier, and yours is a little lighter. That's what it means to be a local church, that we pray for each other and care for each other in that way. You know, besides salvation, the greatest gift that God's ever going to give you is sitting next to you this morning. So it's grace that we have each other. So let's not waste that grace by keeping every burden to ourselves, but actually trusting each other. Share the love.